This morning, uh, we're kicking off a new sermon series called Lessons We Learn from the Playground. Some of you I've talked to about it already, but you know, the playground is where we learn some of the most valuable lessons of our lives, biblical lessons that never really grow old. And so we're going to take a few weeks here in September, as kids are going back to school, to talk about them. You know, Carmen already, I already told him, he, he stepped on my sermon this morning uh, in, in class pretty good. Um, but you know, one of those lessons is lying. The playground is where we learn why we shouldn't lie, how to play with others, how to uh, help a friend up when they fall down. So for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to focus on. And these are things that probably come up every week in the classes down the hall, right? You know, in Sunday school, these lessons were ingrained in us. But as we get older, we tend to think, oh, we've outgrown these. We don't need these anymore. We've already uh, mastered them. Or we think we need issues with uh, a little more substance to them. We don't need to hear about those basic virtues anymore. But God always told us, don't get ahead of yourself. You know, we know the story well uh, that Mike read for us about the, the little children coming to Jesus. And what did the disciples do when these people brought their children to him? They said, Jesus is too important for that. We're too important for that. We don't have time to meet with these children. But Mark 10 tells us, that the disciples rebuked those who brought them. One translation says uh, that they shooed the children away. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For such of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them, by, or took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them and blessed them. Jesus said, no, I do have time for this. In fact, he says that we all have something to learn from these children that the disciples tried to shoo away. So over the next month, we're going to search for those lessons. Lessons we probably learned when we were kids, but as we got older, uh, we thought we didn't need them anymore. And we'll find that uh, in many cases, we need them now more than ever. Yeah, at camp, we lead this uh, song about the story from Acts. Ananias and Sapphira got together to conspire, a plot to cheat the church and get ahead. They knew God's power, but they did not fear it, tried to cheat the Holy Spirit, lied to Simon Peter, and they both dropped dead. Now, isn't that a, a cute children's song? It's charming, right? Yeah, they lied to Simon Peter, and they both dropped dead. Can't get more charming or, or childlike than that. And in fact, I tried to find the song to remember the tune on YouTube, and it's part of a, a longer song. This is just one verse, but they left this verse out, and I, I, I can imagine why. But it, even though it might make us uncomfortable, this is what happened. We read it in class this morning that Luke tells us in Acts 5 that a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira's wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, and his wife also being aware of it, and, bought, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. And so, first, 
Ananias dies. And then when it was clear that Sapphira knew all about this, Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last. And the young men came in, found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her with her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. So you find Ananias and Sapphira here. They were allowed to keep their possessions. There was nothing wrong with them having possessions, holding them back from the church. That wasn't a crime. Their crime was lying. You know, like the song goes, Ananias and Sapphira got together to conspire, to plot, to cheat the church and get ahead. They knew God's power, but they did not fear it. They tried to cheat the Holy Spirit. They lied to Simon Peter, and they both dropped dead. You know, honesty is something that is ingrained in us as kids. Maybe we aren't often told uh, that the consequence if we lie or the punishment if we lie is death. Maybe we get a timeout or something instead. But it's made clear to us when we're kids, if we lie, there will be a punishment. There will be consequences. Sometimes we're even told this story from the Bible, if our parents really want to scare us straight, right? But there's lots of people who have a problem with the ending to this story. And where Ananias and Sapphira, they die. Because it doesn't seem like God should do things like that. And what it boils down to is they don't think there should be consequences for their actions, for lying. Certainly not consequences this severe. And it might be because lying isn't an uncommon thing. And this is a very severe punishment. You know, back in the 1990s, there was a book entitled The Day America Told the Truth. And in that book, the, uh, they had the results of a survey they did um, of Americans across the country and how often they lied. And these were some of the results. 91% of those surveyed lied regularly about matters they considered trivial. 36% lied about important matters. 80% lied regularly to their parents. 75% to friends. 73% to siblings. 69% to spouses. You know, this isn't a crime like murder where it only affects a, a few people. This is everywhere. 91% of people admit in a survey, yeah, on trivial matters, I lie. You know, we might be able to understand a punishment as severe as death for something that only affects a few, but this affects me. Lying is just too commonplace. You know, one time I was teaching a Bible class and a, a friend of mine, he gave me permission to share the story. Um, but he had been coming for a few weeks and we, we had just gotten to Acts chapter five and we were reading this story uh, and he started to get uncomfortable and the class was talking about, well, you know, God struck Ananias and Sapphira dead when they lied to the church. And he quickly raised his hand and says, no, no, that's not how it happened. God didn't strike Ananias and Sapphira down. Wait a second. And it took us all a, a bit by surprise because it seems pretty clear that is what happened in Acts chapter 5. And, and we tried to explain that this is obvious what God did here. But sat down with him later and we talked about it. And, and he had been going uh, to a church in the community that had also just gone through Acts chapter 5. And the preacher there uh, had gone to great lengths to make Acts chapter 5 say anything but what Luke meant. Maybe their deaths were uh, the result of shame. Maybe uh, it was a mere coincidence that both of them died within a few moments of each other. But his main reasoning was that he believed in a God of love, but not a God of judgment. He refused to accept that for a crime as petty 
as lying, the consequences would be so severe. Now, to be fair, in Acts chapter 5, it doesn't say God killed them, but there's no question that's exactly what happened. In fact, uh, that's pretty much what everyone thought at the time. Acts chapter 5, verse 11, it tells us that great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard of these things. They weren't afraid of shame. They weren't afraid of coincidence. They were afraid of the judgment of God. And the story even affected people who weren't in the church. Acts 5.13 tells us none of the, the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So apparently there are people, uh, this was in Jerusalem, right, in the temple where they were meeting, and, and people would come and join them while they were meeting. Not anymore, though. They were too afraid to do that. And God does not like lying, and it was clear then, and it's clear now, lying has severe consequences. You know, even in our modern day, the, the story can still have an effect on us. One preacher recalled uh, when he was a child, he thought that the church was boring. Sermons were just so long. Sermons were just so boring. Uh, and so one day, he decided he wasn't going to sit through it. So he, he, he crept out of service midway through. Uh, he went down the street. There's a, a corner store there. And he used what money he had collected from his paper route to, to buy some candy. Of course, some of that was supposed to go into the contribution. Uh, but he returned back to church just in time for the preacher to get up and start his sermon. Guess what it was on? Ananias and Sapphira. And here he is, still a Tootsie Roll in his mouth, and his jaw just drops. Uh-oh. I did something wrong here. I did something really, really wrong. Maybe that's why he became a preacher. But as kids, we learn that lying has consequences. But perhaps as we get older, that the tendency is to forget that, to forget that lying has such severe consequences. And I have a hard time uh, understanding these statistics. You know, I can't wrap my mind around the idea that people would lie as much as the book says they do. But one of the really sad things about this survey is who they're lying to. It's not strangers. It's not people who are unimportant in their lives. These are the closest people to them, their family, their friends, their spouses. Now, God knew people would do just that. He knew within the church the, the bond that's supposed to be the closest for us, people would have a tendency to lie. And so one of the explicit instructions he gave us in Colossians 3.9 says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. You know, in other words, lying might have been how you lived before, before you became a Christian. That's the old self. But now we are Christians and God expects something to change. He expects us to be tellers of truth, not lies. So now that we have that background and gone through Ananias and Sapphira, see that lying has consequences, we can get to our main text this morning. And here we have a, a case study in the effects of lying and the effects it has on a family. And just to give a little bit of background, here in uh, Genesis 25, Isaac and Rebekah, they were a godly family the days of the patriarchs. They're held in high honor by the Jews even today. When you ask them who their ancestors are, who do they say? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in time, Rebekah became pregnant. Genesis 25, 24, it says, So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there are twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. And so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. And so his name was called Jacob. 
and Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, take a look at this picture. Now, that's Isaac, that's Rebecca. They've got their two boys. They're just hanging out together, right? And found in uh, one of the books I found in the building. They're just hanging out. They're, they're such a wholesome family here, right? Nothing could go wrong. This is the picture of what a, a Bible family is supposed to look like. But in our text this morning, we're fi- we find out that they're not that wholesome. They're not that peaceful. Rebecca, he's in, she's encouraged uh, Jacob to lie to his dad. And Jacob, he doesn't even think twice about it. Jacob lied like a dog. Now, the question is, why would he do that? Why would Jacob lie to his father? Well, the answer is in Genesis 25, 27. He says, so the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Anytime you see something in Scripture, it's there for a reason. God doesn't just put it in there uh, for embellishment. It's there to teach us something. And here God is telling us why Jacob is willing to lie to Isaac. Isaac loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. Now, why on earth would Isaac love Esau more than he loved Jacob? Well, apparently Esau, he was a man's man. He was a skilled hunter. He was someone uh, of the open country. Well, well, Jacob he preferred his mother. He stayed among the tents. And so Jacob had become an embarrassment to his dad. And Jacob knew it. And so when the time came to lie to his dad, well, it's a no-brainer. And so first, Jacob lied because of his resentment of Isaac. But secondly, he lied because he had contempt for Esau. And as far as Jacob was concerned, Esau doesn't deserve this blessing from his father. And they were right there together when they came out of the womb. Esau would only squander this like he did everything else in life. And Esau, he'd made all kinds of bad choices. And now Jacob was convinced that he would make bad choices if he got this inheritance too. For example, we see that laid out for us in Genesis 25, 29. We read, Now Jacob cooked the stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that, or some of that red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, tell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. And then he ate and he drank and he arose and he went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, just to clarify here, this birthright isn't something small. And the birthright mentioned here had to do with the inheritance that the boys would receive. And according to the tradition, the older son, Esau, would receive twice as much as any other sibling, in this case, Jacob. And this was to compensate the firstborn for taking care of the estate when the parent died. So what Esau was doing, he was giving away half his inheritance for a bowl of soup or a bowl of, uh, of lentils. And that was ludicrous. And in fact, it was so ludicrous that even Hebrews speaks of this. It says, see that no one is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son in Hebrews 12, 16. So Esau was a man driven by earthly passions, the polar opposite of Jacob. If he wanted something badly enough, he'd get it no matter the cost. He wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. 
And that's the kind of guy Esau was. What was really precious didn't seem to matter to him, and that must have infuriated Jacob because Jacob didn't get this blessing that he had from his father. So Jacob sees this brother as someone who doesn't deserve what he's going to get from dad. He's going to squander it when he gets it, and it doesn't really matter to Esau anyways. He doesn't really care about these things. All He's willing to give away it all for a bowl of soup. So Jacob lied. He lied because he resented his father. He lied because he had contempt for his brother. But Jacob also lied for a more basic reason. He didn't trust God. In Genesis 25, 23, we read, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people will be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. What does that mean? Which was the older brother? Well, Esau, right? By a second or two. And who was the younger brother? Jacob. In other words, even before they were born, God already had a plan for Jacob. God already knew that people today would still be saying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. That was always the plan for God. God had decreed that in spite of the fact that Esau would be stronger than Jacob, despite the fact that Esau would be older than Jacob, Jacob would rule over Esau. Always the plan. That was the promise. Jacob should have seen that as a done deal. But instead, he didn't see fit to trust God in the promise he made. You know, when people don't trust God, they end up doing all sorts of evil and selfish things. Why? Because no matter the outcome of any situation, they, they see it as depending on them, on their strength, on their wisdom, on their power. If they can personally manipulate their circumstances, they can get ahead. After all, if there's no one who has their back, then it is up to them to protect themselves, right? It's up to us to protect ourselves because no one else cares enough to have our back. That's what Jacob thought. That's why wives lie to their husbands. That's why men lie to their wives. That's why kids lie to their parents. They are trying to manipulate the situation. And of course, that's why Jacob lied to his dad and cheated his brother. He didn't trust God to do anything about the situation. And when people don't trust God, they do evil things. They'll lie, they'll cheat, they'll gossip, they'll steal, all because they think that is how they can get ahead. They don't trust God to do it for them. That's what Jacob did, and that's what we do today. People behave like this because they haven't learned this basic principle of faith in God. One man told of a, a college professor, and often say, when you think nothing is happening, rest assured God is doing something. And he'd cite four scriptures. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this in Psalm 37.5. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him in Psalm 37.7. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil in Psalm 37, 8. The Lord delights in the way of a man whose steps he has made firm, Psalm 37, 23. You know, people who trust God, who trust that God is doing something, they don't lie. They don't manipulate others because they don't have to. They trust that God is in control. When they're down to nothing, they know God is up to something. Now, what's really odd here, though, is Jacob is someone who's held up today, and at, even at the time, he is a religious man. He might fit in at most churches. He, he didn't trust God, but he was religious. He went through the motions. He, he 
knew about God. He believed in God. For example, as he's running for his life to get away from Esau after this, he stopped overnight at a place called Bethel. And while he's there, God gives him a vision. God hasn't given up on Jacob even now. And Jacob's so impressed by the vision that he offered to make a deal with God. Genesis 28, it says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. If then God will be God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all of that you have given me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So Jacob, he's a religious man. He prays to God, believes he's talking to someone, but even in this, he doesn't trust God. If you'll do this for me, if you'll give me food, if you'll give me clothing, if you'll put me exactly where I think I should be, how I should be there, then I'll set up a pillar. Then I'll worship you. Then I'll give you my money. You've read uh, the comic strip Diller, or Dilbert, right? And it had one that, that um, or he was going to set up a discount faith, right? And he said that, uh, the tithing would only be 5% and he let people sin as much as they wanted. The only problem would be I, I wouldn't want to spend any time with the people who would join that sort of religion, right? And that's the same thing that is happening here with Jacob. Jacob had a, a Dilbert kind of faith. He only wanted it on his terms, but turns out no one actually wants any part in that kind of Religion. Jacob wasn't sold out to God. Jacob wanted a God that he could manipulate just like he tried to manipulate everyone else. He wanted a God that he could lie to. That's what Ananias and Sapphira wanted too. They wanted a God that they could lie to just like they lied to everyone else. And here in the story of Jacob, God played along for a while. He let Jacob choose his own path, but eventually the consequences of Jacob's lies caught up with him. And his manipulations caught up with him. He ended up working for his uncle, right, Laban, for 20 years in order to marry Rachel and receive uh, the dowry that he'd been promised, that he should have been given. And Laban was a manipulator even worse than Jacob was, far worse than Jacob had ever been. And then when Jacob finally did get home, what was the problem? The mother that he loved so much, the mother that he was so close to, the, the mother who loved him even while his father didn't, was already dead. Jacob got what he wanted, but it cost him most of his life. It cost him the ability to ever see his mother again. It didn't have to be that way, though. Jacob tried to do things by his own plan, by his own power, by his own strength, even while God already told him the ending of the story. God already told him where he was going to end up, but Jacob didn't believe him. God says, if you're going to be my child, you've got to trust me. You've got to quit trying to manipulate things. You've got to embrace truth and reject falsehood. In Isaiah 63, 8, God declared, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And as kids, this was a lesson that was drilled into us, not to deal falsely, not to lie. And parents have to start teaching on this and enforcing this early and often because kids are pretty creative. Right? In 2017, a group published a paper in the journal Law and Human Behavior. I've got a subscription to it, can't seem to shake it, so I keep getting these. And one article uh, seemed to stand out. It said that a parent can only tell when their kid is lying to them 47% of the time. 
53% of the time, you can't tell when your kid is lying to you. Some lies are more universal than others, though. When they're young, what do kids say? Around the world, they say the same things, right? If you let me fill in the blank here, then I'll never ask you for anything ever again. You just give me this one thing. Always get that in writing. Get it notarized. Or, I think I'm too sick to go to school today. You know, no actual sick person says this. When you're sick, when you're nauseous, when you're running a fever, what do you do? You sit in a dark room and you moan until people go away. You never make excuses. Once they get older, the fibs get even worse. After coming home past curfew, what do they say? I'm late because I got stuck in traffic. And because in Greenfield, traffic always hits at 11 p.m. at night all the time. Or, my favorite, I didn't block you on Instagram. It must have been a mistake because you are the only person under the age of 18 who don't know how, doesn't know how Instagram works or how their privacy settings work. And parents, you've got to catch those blatant lies because that's the 47%. The other 53% are still sitting out there, and you've got to teach kids that lying has consequences when you can't. But when we were kids, we might have gotten away with a fib here or there, but our parents worked on us, our schools worked on us, our church worked on us, we learn that lying has consequences. But as Christians, we can't forget those lessons. In 1 Timothy 1 and Revelation 21, lying is listed with sins like murder, with idolatry, with, with people who physically hurt their parents in 1 Timothy. It's a sin. And Romans 6 says that the consequence of all sin, not a timeout, it's not something trivial, it is death. Ananias and Sapphira found that out. They lied to Simon Peter, and they both dropped dead. And the rest of the church in Jerusalem, and even those outside the church, understood that they should be afraid of God's judgment. They should fear the Lord. But as Christians, we can escape that fate. That's why Paul wrote to the Colossians, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. You know, lying may have been a part of our old life, as Christians, we have to do away with it. Christ calls us to something more. We, we may have lied for different reasons. When you look at Jacob, he lied out of uh, resentment and contempt. But ultimately, everybody lies for the same reason. We don't trust God, and we don't trust that he's in control. We want to take things into our own hands because we don't believe that God is looking after us. And Paul is saying, if you're a Christian, that's not supposed to be you anymore. As a Christian, you are supposed to trust God. When you're a Christian, you're saying you do put your faith in him. You're saying that you believe that he's in control, and so you shouldn't still be lying. Trusting God isn't easy, though. It took a long time for Jacob to figure it out. And he was someone who was religious, right? He, he thought he knew God. But over and over again, he proved that he didn't really trust him. When did things change for him? It happened one night uh, as Jacob was making his way back home after 20 years, too long. He's on his way back to try to be restored with his family, to make peace with his brother who had threatened to kill him and of whom uh, he hadn't been forgiven yet. So even in this attempt to reconcile with his brother, Jacob's still trying to manipulate the situation, right? To get ahead. That is until he met with God. Genesis 32 tells us now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go 
unless you bless me. And so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Genesis 32, 25 through 30. It was at that point that Jacob's life finally changed. It was at that point where he said, I can trust God more completely, because it was then that Jacob wrestled with him. You know, a wrestling coach once commented on this passage. He said, you know, the hip is the wrestler's pivot point, the core of his strength. God couldn't give Jacob the blessing. That's what he wanted all along, right? Couldn't give Jacob that blessing until Jacob could no longer rely on his own strength, until he could no longer stand on his own. It isn't until the angel of the Lord dislocated Jacob's hip that Jacob finally surrendered and received what he's really wanted all along, a blessing. So if you're having trouble trusting God, you need to come to a point where you wrestle with him. And when you come face to face with God, you can become aware of just how weak you really are, of just how uh, disappointing it will be if you try to rely on your strength, on your lies, on your manipulations. If you think that's going to get you ahead, once you come to the point where you truly see God's power, you'll see how disappointing your own strength will be, how much you really need God's power in your life. Lying and manipulating isn't going to cut it. You may think that's how you can take control of your life. Maybe how you think you can get ahead, but it's not going to work. It has deadly consequences. But we're told how we can receive God's blessing. Submit your life to his son. Turn from your old self, lying and manipulations included and be baptized for the remission of your sins. So if you're ready to put your trust in God this morning, now's the time to come to the front of the room as we stand, as we sing.